If we go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, what were the words of the serpent to Eve? He scoffed and said, has God really said? Isn't that what happens when we doubt? We've heard the words of God and we've wanted to believe. Maybe we've seen the power of God at work in our life or in the lives of others. And the childlike response is to believe. But then we are given the opportunity to doubt. And that is the beginning of unbelief. See, we have been given the measure of faith. Salvation includes all the things that Jesus came to give. It includes supernatural healing and financial blessings as well. So many Christians and churches have separated out the born-again experience from the fullness of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But no one can provide any verses to support their theory that this is not included. If you're thinking that simply going to church or even being a Christian automatically makes you a believer in all things, you need to examine your own heart and ask yourself, do I really believe everything that God is showing me in his word? Do I really believe what Jesus said while he was here? Am I willing to stand on it word for word? Or will I need to some, somehow explain the words of Jesus away? See, this truth is powerful. This truth will set you free. Everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross was finished 2,000 years ago. There's nothing you can do to earn more righteousness from God. But there is one requirement to be able to experience overcoming change in your life. You must be settled in the truth of God's word. And you need to free yourself up to give him a chance. Be willing to mix his word with your faith. Now remember, God is never angry with you if you miss it. And he's always guiding each of us to greater and greater access of his goodness by faith. Give God a chance to prove his word by refusing to allow any offense or unbelief to contaminate the purity of the faith that he has given you. See, the faith that God has given you has the purity of his nature. This is what was so pure about Adam and Eve in the garden. When he created them, they didn't have any unbelief. And it wasn't until they became offended at God that they received unbelief. See, the more I think about what happened in the garden, the more I see it in the lives of people around me. And I see it in myself if I let myself become offended. Now, maybe there's something that I'm missing in, in boiling it down to this simple. But I really do believe that it comes down to these things. Do you remember what the ruler of the synagogue said when Jesus said, only believe? And this is in another account, but he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I've even had people describe this as an old type of scales where we are given the full measure of faith which, which allows God's word to come to pass. But as we allow unbelief in the other part of the scales, it begins to tip in the other side. And I would say this is what controls what happens in your life. If you refuse unbelief and don't receive it into your life, you then have the full weight of the faith of the measure of God. And that faith is what accomplishes the, the answers to the prayers you're asking God for. It's not even that you have more faith than someone else. It may be that they just have more unbelief. Now, I realize that even that message can become offensive to people. 
But do you realize the, the offense was there before you uh, said something? This is something that really freed me up about people becoming offended at me. When I give them the truth and they become offended, the truth is not actually what produced the offense. It simply revealed the offense that was already there. See, there's something clarifying about the purity of truth. When you read something in the Word of God and you say, this is not manifesting in my life, how do you respond to that truth? Are you willing to give God a chance? See, He knows what it takes to remove the unbelief in our lives. He knows what it takes to purify the faith that we have. And yes, I do believe that we can grow our faith. And even when people have talked about faith like a mustard seed, it's not talking about the size of the mustard seed, although Jesus did mention that. But what he was saying is that even though it is the smallest of the seeds, when you plant it in good soil, it grows to become a big tree. So each of us is given a seed of faith. Do you know how to make that faith grow? You plant it into an impossible situation. You ask the Lord for a word to water it. See, that faith grows. If your heart is good soil, that faith begins to grow when you water it with the purity of God's word and specifically when you get and hear a rhema word. But if you're not willing to plant the seed into an impossible situation, God has no reason to give you a rhema word. Do you know what happens to a rhema word if there's no reason, uh, if there's no impossible situation that draws it? Let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 12. See, when you're, when you're truly planting the seed of faith, your heart will rest in the, in the power of God's word. Listen to this in Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if you are not living in an attitude of rest, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I have unbelief? Is that contaminating the purity of my faith? 
So you can tell very quickly where your heart is when you take the time to read the Word of God and allow it to discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. See, this is why we read all the way to verse 12. We all need to come to the place where we can be completely honest with where we are. We'll never be able to deal with the unbelief if we're not honest about it. So you can trust God to show you clearly where your heart is and lead you into a place of rest. Look how many verses there talked about the rest of God. I think of a farmer who understands the principle of sowing and reaping. A farmer is willing to work very hard during planting. In fact, a farmer works hard all year long, but he does not have to work hard trying to make the plants grow. Even if he's adding fertilizer to the soil, he still is not making that plant receive that fertilizer by his own effort. He's allowing the system to work. See, a farmer that understands soil wants to grow things can rest in the principle of sowing and reaping. See, your faith comes down to where you are setting your mind. Have you noticed that much of what we actually experience in and through our physical life is a direct result of the things we set our mind on? And we're even told, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if I think of what produces offense in people, most of the time it comes from looking only on the outward instead of looking in the Word. So if we look on the outward only, we're looking for results to validate the truth. In fact, I want to read about this in Romans 8, 5 through 11. Now think of, I want you to be honest with where you set your mind. And just for clarity, as we're reading this, don't think of the flesh as being sinful or not. I know when I've read this before, I've thought of it as when you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you've set your mind on the things of sin. But I want, I want you to think of it as natural or spirit. And if you can imagine a farmer who has planted seed, setting his mind on the things of the flesh would be like digging up the seed and having to look at it. So now let's read Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal or natural mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh, or natural thinking only, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, did you notice what the result is in verse 6? I want to use just my own words to give a translation here. If all you look at is the results on the outside, it only produces death. But when you are spiritually minded and look to the power of God's word, it produces life in your body and gives you rest or peace. 
See, God has, he has made so that we can walk and live in peace. But I'm going to say it again. Give God a chance. Give his word a chance. When you say, but I'm still not seeing it. Don't be offended by that. Stand on the truth of God's word. See, when you're willing to give his word a chance, you will reach a place where you no longer need to look on the outside to be convinced. And maybe you say, but that's just deceiving yourself. And if it would never work, I would agree with you. But I just told you an example where it actually worked for me. I refused to look at the flu that was attacking my body. And I stood on the power of one verse. And that simplicity brought healing to my body. I would guess that every one of us have stories of our own like that. Whether they're your own personal stories or a testimony you've heard from someone else. But every time you're faced with a new situation, you have a choice to make. Will I stand on the truth of God's word in the fullness of faith? Or will I allow offense and unbelief to counteract that? And yes, hopefully your faith continues to grow. But then you're simply faced with a bigger opportunity to believe for more. See, we never get to the place where we no longer need faith. So why would we not practice and try to grow our faith? There is no autopilot in the Christian life. And many times we can be an encouragement to those around us. Even in the story that I told you just uh, about the flu, I was encouraged by a text from my brother. When you are prompted to encourage someone that you know, are you willing to stand on the truth of God's word? Encourage them instead of condemning them? When others speak negatively about someone that you know, are you willing to stand up for them even though others may be offended at you as well? See, Jesus said that we need to take up our cross and follow him. This means we need to be willing to die. Now, I know when I use the word die, it can come across as physical only. But what if you think of it as dying in reputation? When you're willing to lose your life, in others' positive view of you and for others to scoff at you and mock you because you believe in healing and it's not working for you. Did you remember what I said earlier when you are willing to die? When you're willing to die believing in healing, you are ready to live forever. Or I'll say it this way, you are ready for eternal life to manifest. See, I don't believe there are any limits to what God can do in and through us. The only limits are the ones we put on him. So if someone would be writing the Bible now in our lifetimes, would they write about you as if you're from Nazareth? Or would you be the woman with the issue of blood? Would you be the one that says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Are you willing to believe even if your daughter has died? Do you realize the ruler of the synagogue still had to walk home? Even though Someone had told him, your daughter is already dead. What do you think went through his mind? When Jesus interrupted him and said, only believe and your daughter will be made well. Do you think he set his mind on the things of the flesh? Or did he have to simply ignore the things of the flesh and set his mind on the things of the spirit? You realize the choice that he made that day brought his daughter back to life. So where are you at with this? I really want to encourage you and to increase your hope. In fact, I want to finish with one of my favorite verses. 
And this is Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.